Holy Gospel according to Luke, the 16th chapter. This is another of many of the unique uh, stories that we hear only in Luke's Gospel while Jesus is on the road of life. Jesus said, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, Lazarus covered with sores who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, the rich man looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. The man called out, Father, Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things, but now he is comforted here, and you are in agony besides all this. Between you and us a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. The man said, Then, Father, I I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them, so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. The man said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. So if you're listening to a a story, which do you think is more effective? If the person creates the whole story up kind of out of their imagination so that every detail is kind of a new experience as you listen to it? Or would it be more effective for someone to take an existing story and just change a couple of the details so that the very surprise of the change is what gets your attention, which makes for the better story, do you think? Jesus does both. He tells, as far as we can tell, some stories completely from his own imagination. But he does also sometimes take stories and adjust them. That, as far as we can tell, is what's going on in today's gospel lesson. Because, interestingly, in Egyptian and Jewish and Greek literature of the time, there are stories similar to the one I just read. So, for example, the one from Jewish folklore uh, has a pious but poor old Jew who dies. And and then there's also a a rich, uh, well-connected Jew who dies and has a huge funeral. That's the end. But then in eternity, the the tale casts a picture of, of the poor, pious Jew residing in this luxurious, wonderful garden where all the fruit is available to him to eat, while the rich man is bound in a desert beside a river which is just out of reach of his tongue, his thirst can never be quenched. In in the Greek storytelling tradition, there's, there's one that's similar to the end of today's lesson, where there again are these two people separated by this chasm, and, and the one who is in torment uh, is constantly bargaining with the divine 
to somehow improve his position, even if it's just going from a lower portion of hell to a higher portion of hell. Jesus perhaps was aware, probably for sure, of the, of the Jewish legend, but perhaps of the Greek one as well. And so for his listening audience, he, he puts them together and adds his own spin and details, which would have been a surprise and perhaps of great interest to his audience. And to this very day, I'm pretty sure that the last line remains the surprise and challenge for anybody who listens to this story. Because, as everybody knows, and the basic point of the story is, you just can't take it with you. Who read the, the this was in like the, the obituaries, like, well, first, how many of you regularly read the obituaries? Just like fess up here, people. Or something. I, I read the obituaries, not all of them, but sometimes. Uh, so this story, it, it wasn't just an obituary, it was kind of like a little article about this guy who I think ran a, a dry cleaners. And he, he died with like no spouse or children. And, and he did take care of his sisters, who I think were his only uh, living relatives. But then he left $500,000 to whom? Anybody read this one? Anyone who came to the visitation or the funeral. And he has this in a sealed envelope, and it's not to be opened until after the funeral. So nobody knows this. But then on the basis of who signed in the guest register or people who went who could corroborate uh, other people who went, they, they figured out that like 260 people went to the funeral or visitation and uh, do the math. Eventually, all of these people are going to get a check for $1,800 just because they showed up at the visitation or the funeral. You can't take it with you. That guy knew it, and so he figured, might as well share it with the people who came to my funeral. Now, in a way, that's, that's kind of a cool reward, not that you should be shooting for it, but any... <laughs> man, if you want an incentive plan for people showing up. Uh, I, I mean, but we say at almost every funeral we do, we say when somebody's loved one dies, there's nothing you can say and there's nothing you can do. All you can offer is prayers and presents, and those are the, the only legitimate, meaningful gifts that you can offer. I tell you, one of the best, most humane, uh, aware, sensitive gifts you can give somebody is if one of their loved ones dies, is to go to the visitation or go to the funeral, no matter how much that might you know, freak you out. People often say that. It's an awesome thing to share, and you might get 1800 bucks. Who knows? All we know is you can't take it with you. So Jesus crafts this wonderful story and, and uh, read it over again at some point, but uh, I'm sure his audience would have delighted just in, in his word choice. And let me give you a couple of examples of cool things that he puts in there. So what was the rich man wearing before he dies? He's wearing a color of the clothes. There are purple and also a, a separate linen garment. Both of those words would have been awesome because the, the, the word purple that Jesus chooses is, comes directly from the name for the dye, or actually it's the name of the snail from which the purple dye came. In other words, like a thousand snails died so that this guy could have this purple uh, robe on. And, and Jesus uses that little name. That would have gotten people's attention. And just like somebody dropping like the name of some designer uh, uh, line in the midst of a conversation, uh, he uses the exact name for the linen that the guy's using. And it's a linen that came only either from southern Egypt 
are from India. So really fancy stuff. That's what this guy is wearing. Another kind of interesting thing Jesus does, maybe for his disciples and maybe for anybody who's been listening to enough of his stories, is that when he says the man feasts sumptuously, the, the, the verb construction he uses there is absolutely identical to the, to the verb construction he uh, built into a parable he told in Luke chapter 12, where he tells a similar story of a rich farmer who decides to build bigger barns for his, all of his stuff and then retire and eat, drink, and be merry. And that part about eat, drink, and be merry, that verbal construct is the same thing that Jesus now builds into the second story. So it's kind of a spoiler alert for anybody who's listening to it at that point. They immediately recognize things are probably not going to turn out well for this rich man, who, by the way, what name does Jesus give him? Doesn't give him one. Uh, His his, um, incapacity to be aware of the brother who lies outside his house robs him at some level of his, of his identity. Um, Lazarus is also um, graphically described. He just wants a crumb off the table and he doesn't get it. And he is in such bad shape that his only companions or perhaps tormentors are the dogs that lick his wounds. They both die. Rich guy's buried. And Lazarus is what? This, this wonderful image of he's lifted up and he's carried by the angels into heaven. And now suddenly the rich man gets religion. Not just Abraham, the respectful father Abraham, but still the arrogance. This, this, this Lazarus to whom he had paid no attention in life now is supposed to become his servant and make the arduous journey from heaven to hell with a little water so that his tongue can be cool. At some level, how dare he ask that? But he does. And Abraham politely says, oops, not really possible. There's this huge chasm. Who built it? The rich man. He built it for his entire lifetime. He spent his whole lifetime being separated from Lazarus. Now in death, why should it be any different? Well, if not that, then can't you at least send them to talk to my brothers so that they could come to their senses? Abraham responds, we're not really in the business of doing miracles here. That's why we gave him Moses. The laws, they're not only very clear, but they are meant to be obeyed. And the prophets are there to be a reminder that faithfulness is not easy and eludes us frequently in life. Nevertheless, it is our common ideal, and we should live up to it. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, no, Father Abraham, but if somebody should rise from the dead, they'd listen. And of course, the last line of the parable comes from the mouth of Father Abraham, but it's Jesus who's speaking it. He who will rise from the dead, and I think speaks this with sort of a sad sense of the fact that so many who listened to him then and who listened to him 2,000 years later do not listen at all to what he is saying. Even if somebody should rise from the dead, they will not listen. You can't take it with you, hey? 
I, th I think one of the great moral hazards of affluence and materialism and we in comparison to the world uh, are, I think one of the great hazards which the Bible is all over and you see it, if you, if you have time, read the book of Amos. Because it's like all about this. Uh, and, and one of the things that Amos observes is that, is that the poor in the Bible are never the problem. Think nowadays in social political discussions, uh, how much time is spent on, what's, what's the problem with the poor? Why are they poor? The Bible is a really wise book. It, I don't think it ever once asks that question. Uh, it actually always says the problem is with affluence and with the corrupting impact of materialism on the souls of the people who have it. And, and Amos sadly looks at his time and says, you're, you're going to lose it all because you are, are, are so uh, mean-spirited. Uh, to the people who have little. In, in chapter 2, at some point, Amos even says, you know, the, the rich buy and sell the poor for a pair of sandals. It's like their lives don't even matter. Uh, but that's not a modern thing, and it's not an ancient thing. It's an all-the-time thing. There's something about having stuff that, that actually makes people hostile to the people around them, and that's a moral danger for all of us to be aware of. You can't take it with you, but... There are other dangers that kind of build up around it. And I think one danger that's maybe unique to our time period, maybe the last 50, 60 years, is that maybe we're the first kind of part of human history where we literally can create as one of our excuses the fact that, that um, the, the reason I'm not sharing, the reason I, I don't take time to give is that there are risks that I've not yet accounted for. You know, the market could go down 75% at some point. So I have to keep paying into the 529 or the 401k or the 403b or to further pay down my mortgage. There's, there's always a risk any of us can concoct that we have to structure our lives around to somehow account for. And as a result, you can always convince yourself that there's a reason not to share, not to be generous. And by the way, I'm not at all in the sermon talking about, well, then you should give it to Unity Lutheran Church. Um, because it's not just about money, by the way. It's about time. It's about expertise. It's about heart. It's about a lot of things. It's really, um, if you and I, because it's aimed at me too, if we're honest, it's one of the hardest parables because it's searing and it's kind of scary. And you have to think to yourself, am I even close to being on the right path? And, in fact, you should leave here tonight and think about that, because if you don't and if I don't, then we're kind of being moral cowards. But sermons are always about the gospel. So I would say you should think about this one other thing as well. There are two places in the gospels where, where someone is debating with Jesus, and they ask him, what's, what's the most important of the laws of Moses? And either the person who says it or Jesus himself says, well, it's actually two. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. Your neighbor is yourself. The first time that happens, the person who asks it um, just apparently wants to debate and win the point. And so then he further asks, well, then who is my neighbor? And that causes Jesus to tell which parable? The parable of the Good Samaritan. And it's a parable meant at some level to challenge the guy who's thrown that at him, to say to him, it's not about who your neighbor it is, it's whether you're acting as a neighbor to the people around you. And so Jesus goes after him.
But the other incident where it happens, the, the, the man who asks answers, the most important thing is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says to him, because apparently he perceives an authenticity in that answer, he says, you, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You are not far from the kingdom of God. I don't think we really live in a world where you're going to find Lazarus sitting at your doorstep. That does not absolve any of us of the moral obligation to realize that Lazarus still exists and perhaps we should be aware of that and seek Lazarus out. You can't do that once, though. You have to commit or choose in life to consistently be in someone else's life because of their disability, because of their addiction, because of their depression, because of their, of their criminal record, because of their poverty, because of their disease, um, because of a hundred different things that might be a part of that. And, and, and see, the thing about that is, only when, when you somehow as a volunteer or through your job or, or in whatever way it happens, only when you're kind of consistently with someone do you realize that another thing that our world fixates on, what's the skin color of that person? What's the culture of that person? What car does that person drive? How much education do I have in comparison? None of that stuff matters. None of that stuff matters. What matters is, is as you get to know that person better, they've got a picture in their purse or wallet of somebody that's important to them just like you do and you share that story. You, you both didn't get a job that you thought you deserved to get. You both, um, you both have the perfect recipe for the perfect occasion. You both know what it's like to not be able to stop doing something that you don't want to do, to, to not be able to think about something you don't want to think about. In other words, only when you, when you get past the surface do you recognize that what you have in common is that you're a vulnerable, incomplete human being, and what you share in common with this person is that, is that it's okay. And that, and that, in fact, this other person does not judge you for who you are, nor you judge them. And then, perhaps, your eyes are open. And you can be something for them. And perhaps, to your surprise, they will be something for you. What's the most important commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Whether you've heard that story a hundred times, or in some way one detail is different, you're not far, you're not far from the kingdom of God.